Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today, we're switching things up from talking about current events to our favorite cybersecurity at InfoSec Books. We'll cap it off by sharing what we're currently reading, industry material or not. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, another special book club episode recorded on Friday, December 15th, 2023. I'm your co-host, Callie Fensel, and with me from Recorded Future is ransomware sommelier, Alan Liska, and from Analyst One is Chief Security Strategist, John DiMaggio. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, it's so fun to have you both here. Um, Alan, you've you've been on the podcast a couple times. John, you were you were on earlier this year um, in passing. We met at RSA. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. It's nice to do things in person sometimes, and that was a great opportunity I to know. do that. It's so exciting, and um, yeah, I'm so grateful to have you both here today. Um, maybe you know now that um, you're both here together, how how do you know each other? Because um, Alan actually introduced me to you, John. So I was wondering, um, you know, how far back does your relationship go? Uh, probably about a year and a half. Uh, Alan don't like that I'm going to say this, but he's a, a god in our industry. So uh, when when uh, I finally had the opportunity to meet him, it was at uh, SleuthCon. Uh, and you know, Alan's written several books. I've I've written one, but uh, I'm definitely I definitely admire uh, his ability and the things that he's done and in, in, in his books and his uh, just his, his his analytical opinion and, and, and research on things. There's not a ton of people that I'm like, wow, I, I know about a tenth of what that that person knows and uh, Alan is one of those so I brought uh, I brought my uh, my book and uh, and gave him a copy and uh, you know after that we, we've just been talking and uh, you know chat on signal fairly frequently and uh, whenever I get stuck on things or need an opinion uh, he's one of my go-to people that uh, I, I look to for uh, advice or uh, opinion on, on the research that I'm doing or mentorship on a direction to go those sort of things. And, you know, same, same. I'm a big fan of John. So it's funny. I got a signed copy of his book, um, which I have on the shelf behind me, which, you know, you all can't see because we're not on video, but I had already, I already had a copy of his book. And so (laughs) when I posted on Twitter that I got the signed copy and that I was going to send, um, you know, the copy that I had to somebody else who wants it, I'd like 50 people reply saying that they wanted a copy of his book because it's uh, that well written. So, um, uh, uh, you know, one lucky person, uh, I did actually get it, but you know, it is, uh, it's a great book. And John does the kind of in-depth research that I wish I still had time to do. Um, Absolutely amazing. uh, uh, and, And I don't know how he finds the time with everything else he does. Um, I, well, I mean, I know he doesn't sleep and he does a lot of cocaine, um, but <laughs> <That's true. laughs> the not sleeping part is true, <laughs> but it's it, for, for it's, out, it's Adderall and it's prescribed, but yeah, <laughs> that's funny. But, but John... Whoa, family show, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, then uh, I'm going to have to change all my book recommendations then. Um. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, no, no yeah, we so need an edge. Yeah, but, you know, John is an incredible researcher, does 
just really great analysis. And he does one thing that I have never been able to master. And one of the things that I really admire about him is he's able to have those interactions with some of the cyber criminals um, and get the information from them and filter it down and present it in a way that doesn't glorify them but really shows their opinion and their view on things. And, and I can't do that because even though we're supposed to be analysts, I can't separate that analytical side because I, I just want to punch them all the time. Um, and so uh, uh, I really <laughs> admire the fact that John can do that and actually function like a real analyst. Thanks, Alan. That's actually one of the the biggest uh, problems, or I guess dilemmas that I that I have is because I get to know a lot of these um, criminals, and I would say about twenty percent of the the criminals that I meet, you know, if you remove what they actually do, they're they're personable people, and you form relationships, and it's always. Um, you know, one of those things where I still have to do my job and, you know, when you do put stuff out, they often don't like what you put out, but, uh, you know, it, it's the nature of the business that we're in, but that human part, uh, actually adds a lot of different, um, I guess, stress to it because you do start to grow relationships. And with the few that I meet that I, that I actually, uh, I, for lack of better words, are personable and I have conversations that don't make me want to, as Alan says, punch them. Um, you know, when, when you think about the things they're doing that the end of the day, that that's really what defines who somebody is, regardless if they're the type of person you could sit there and, and drink a coffee with or, or, or have a beer with, uh, if you were to meet them under different circumstances. But I just always try to remember the things they, they do to victims and I have to do my job. But it, it definitely is is something that's new that I've had to deal with over the past, you know, three or four years. Uh, and it, it does add a different layer to, to the traditional analysis. That, um, and and you know, to that, that end, to Kelly, we have a surprise for you. Um, we reached out to one of the ransomware actors and got a list of books they're reading. So we're going to have a third <gasps> invisible guest. Yes. Um, yes. on the program <laughs> so you know what we're reading but you also know what the ransomware act the ones that can read um, are you <laughs> uh, what, what they are reading now you guys you did that that's great and, I'm so excited well Alan needs to get credit for that. He, he, he led that. And then for me, it was so hard to not chime in on books that I like to read. And I'm keep telling myself, no, this is ah! about me. <laughs> no, oh, my God. Well, this is so exciting. So I can't contain it. This is exclusive oh content. I mean, I guess it's on Twitter, but, um, but this will be exclusive to this podcast. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. This is so exciting. Wow. Okay. Wow. Um. I also just uh, like just to backtrack a little bit. I was I was not um, one of the the lucky person to get the the copy of John's book that you were giving out, Alan. I do just wanted to point out that I did buy it fair and square. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you're welcome. <laughs> it's it's funny because there's a there's a lot of cyber criminals that have read my uh, read the book too, which I think is is that alone is is very rewarding that they would take the time. But not a single one of them bought it. They've all downloaded it legally, and that's the first thing that they always tell me. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get past the fact that the the years of work you know you, you downloaded, but but I'm glad that you read it. And I've, I've actually had some interesting conversations, and I always try to get their opinions. And I actually haven't I've gotten some criticisms um, because they're you know either Russian or in, in Eastern Europe. 
Europe type of thing where they don't they don't like something. But I've not gotten. They've all said it's fair, and I think that's because I didn't just uh, write that about. You know, uh, I had publisher was very direct. I had to also write about the U.S. and their uh, their 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 part in espionage and things of that nature. And that that part was a little challenging because of my my past life with the government. But uh, I, I was able to apparently do that good enough uh, that the book came across as, as fair and not just one sided. Uh, that was definitely a real challenge writing it um, because it's hard to not be biased when you you know spent years working for government intelligence agency and then you have to write about it. Let alone getting you know the thumbs up that it's okay to publish something publicly <laughs> like that. So it was uh, it, it was a challenge for sure. Well, maybe we should um, just back up a little bit. Um, we haven't even said the title of your book yet. Which is um, The Art of Cyber Warfare, an Investigator's Guide to Espionage, Ransomware, and Organized Crime. So, um, you know, as of, um, you know, this recording, um, which is uh, 2023, it was it was published last year, right, John? 20- yeah, April of 2022 is when it came out. And, and what compelled you to to write the book? So uh, there's a there's actually a story behind it. Uh, in 2013, uh, I worked for what what I thought was my dream job. Uh, I don't want to say the company; it's not on my resume, but it was a it was a, a, a really strong company in our field. And I was I, I was prior to that, I was at an intelligence agency, and so I left and I went to this um, you know it was a, a private sector job, and I was doing um, I was on a team that that just was really well known and did elite work, and uh, I, I was really struggling. And one of the things about the way that I do research and writing is that um, I am not academically strong. Um, I barely made it out of high school. Um, I have a learning disability, uh, and and I didn't go back to school. I'm 46 now. I didn't go back to get a degree until I was in my mid thirties. And, uh, I really struggled to, to, to do things in a very, uh, scientific, technical, repeatable approach with very specific tools. And, uh, you know, I just, I had a really hard time and, you know, that they, I never got a chance to get to the end result or to do things the way that I have done that have, uh, brought me success in the past. So doing it with this structured approach, I really struggled and uh, we couldn't get past it. And I, it was there for less than the 90 days. And they, they came up one day with, with HR and said, Hey, get your laptop. We want to talk to you. And I, I was shocked. Um, they, they told me that uh, I wasn't, uh, I, I was struggling with writing and they weren't sure about my ability to do analysis. And uh, they sat me down and they had me write a, uh, an essay on basketball. And well, now, because I have kids, like I, we watch basketball together all the time. I'm a huge fan. I know a lot more about it, but I didn't know much about it then. And I just got so hung up on the content of writing something that I just, I didn't do a, a very good job with, with that essay. And um, the following week they came in and they said, sorry, you know, writing and analysis isn't for everyone. Um, you know, we, we have a, a very, high standard here and we're going to have to let you go. And, uh, it was, it was crushing to me. I mean, uh, it, it, you know, putting ego and everything else aside, it, I, I, I cried. I mean, it was, it was really, really hard. And I remember, uh, going home that night and, you know, I have two kids and everything else. And I just remember just really struggling with what to do and feeling really down and depressed. And it was over the next couple of months, um, you know, I, I really uh, just started to realize, you know, I, I, I know what I am and what I can 
do. And uh, I, I really wanted to to prove that. And so I started writing um, blog content and, uh, and things of that nature. And, and I enjoyed the writing and it was received very well. And uh, so then I decided I wanted to write a book. Um, now, I didn't actually it didn't that didn't come true at that point. I spent uh, I spent the next probably uh, four years being rejected from publishers. Um, I would put together these every publisher is different uh, nomination packages that you can put in for a book. Some are writing essays, some are sample chapters, some are outlines, some are all of the above. And I just kept getting denied. And uh, that was also frustrating. But I was really, really, really determined that I was going to do this. Um, and I really I wanted to go with a publisher because of what I just said of being uh, kind of told that I couldn't write. I didn't want to just self-publish. It's so much harder. Nothing against self-publishing, but it's so much harder uh, when you're not proven to get into uh, a field with with an actual publisher. Uh, so I was standing there one day and I was just looking at my bookcase. And this is a true story. It, you still it's still true right now with my bookcase is I would say more than any publisher uh, of books on my, my bookcase uh, was no starch press. And I had never applied to them because I kind of have always looked at them as, as like the top. And that's something if maybe after I get a book out there, I'd have a chance. And uh, so I just I, I, I said, you know, screw it. Let me, let me give this a shot. And uh, I sent it in. And a week later, I got a uh, response and uh, they wanted to set up a, a meeting with um, Bill Pollock, who uh, runs No Starch Press. And uh, they were they were interested and they wanted to make a few changes, but they they felt that, uh, you know, it, it, there was something there. So we uh, we signed a, a, a contract, a publishing contract. And I thought like that was the biggest win of my life. I was so happy. What I didn't know was that uh, that was actually just the, the, the first part, the, the real hard part and the, uh, the adversity that I was going to face was, was yet to come. Uh, I spent uh, probably the next uh, 10, 11 months uh, writing the first few chapters and um, I submitted. It was, uh, I don't know, about 120 pages. And they came back to me and they said, uh, this none of this is written in an active voice. Well, the way that I wrote for government uh, intelligence agencies was a very specific way. And that was how I had learned to write. And I had modified that for some blogging and stuff. But again, because I don't have that academic background, I honestly didn't even know what that meant. Um, so I hired a... Um, a seventh, uh, a seventh grade uh, English teacher um, to, to help me with, with grammar and writing and understanding the very basic rules and things of that nature. And, uh, and, and, and I started from scratch, but the publisher had come to me and not only said that I needed to rewrite it in active voice, but they said, uh, I knew that they didn't think I was going to be able to do it because they said to me, uh, getting, you know, to this point is a, is a huge achievement. Um, writing a book is not for everybody. And it's just from what we've seen, it's going to be a really heavy lift. And I remember telling him, no, I am going to do it. Uh, I'll show you. Uh, give me three months. I'm going to come back to you, but I'm going to do this. And um, when it was all said and done, I had the book, uh, the uh, the senior editor that had, that had worked with me came back and they were like, you know, you did a great job. You really did surprise us all uh, after the way that, that, that we started. And, uh, you know, you should be really proud of yourself. And, and, and I am. I'm, I'm still amazed when I look at it and 
front of me uh, that I actually have a real book and seeing it in in bookstores, seeing it, you know, online at places like 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 Target and uh, in, in Walmart and, you know, mainstream places. It's it's just amazing. Uh, it still feels like like a dream because it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was probably the most important thing I ever done. And I had to do it uh, in addition to my day job. And we had COVID uh, happen and my kids came to live with me going from where it was just every other weekend and Wednesdays to swapping to where I had them except for every other weekend. So school was out. I was having to manage them, manage all the stress we had when COVID first happened and the the the, the anxiety of, of, being, of thinking, well, what if I can't, what if they're right and I can't write this and just forcing myself to believe in myself and, uh, you know, working, you know, from nine to six, spending a few hours with the kids. Kids and then religiously seven days a week uh, from 10 to one in the morning, spending my time writing. Uh, it, it was, as, as Alan said, that I, that I don't sleep now. Well, that's where I learned to not sleep was when I was writing that book. Um, it, it is because of that, that, that the schedule of that, but it took a, a lot of discipline to do that. But sometimes in life, you know, I, I mentioned I've become a basketball fan and I've become a really big Kobe Bryant fan, but not, I didn't watch him when he played. I'm a big Kobe Bryant fan because of his motivation and his work ethic. And he used to say things like, you know, it's not always about talent. It's about your work and dedication, being uh, being there, getting being the first one in, starting before others, working later, not stopping when you're tired, having no excuses. And I literally, uh, you know, still use that. I have a I, I have a, a, a picture uh, that I keep in my desk drawer that has like a bunch of quotes from him. And when I get tired or when I'm exhausted or when I'm stressed out and when I just don't think I can I can do it anymore, I, I just look at that and I, and I just remind myself uh, of that. And uh, this week when I um, I was fortunate enough to win um, Booker Article of the Year uh, for a second time back to back with uh, Sands. I first last year I won it for, for this book, The Art of Cyber Warfare. And then uh, that was last year and then this year. I won it for uh, the Ransomware Diaries, which, while it's not a book, was still uh, over 200 pages of content that I wrote for it this year. So to win it back to back, I, I feel like I don't have anything left to prove. There's nothing left on the table. Like um, I think I've I, I've proved that, and it's not about proving it anymore. Like I want to write uh, more books. It's just something that I just truly love to do. I love to write. I love to do research, and I love to to share. And I I'm really about telling stories um, with a book. Uh, the first half is about telling stories. Uh, it's about all, a lot of cyber espionage uh, and ransomware incidents. Uh, and while I don't say it in the book, I would change this if I was to go back and write it again today. Uh, many of the uh, stories in there, I, I was a part of those in, those investigations. I was I was in the heat in the middle of it. Um, but I, I wrote it from an outside perspective because, you know, it's hard. Like I said, it's hard to get things always approved when you've done the type of work that I used to do. So I took myself out of it. But but anyway, my point is, is that um, the technical aspect of of my uh, of my book was was more of uh, I got to add a tech. I have to put technical stuff in it if I'm going to write a technical book. Uh, but but my my passion is the first half of that book where it's telling really interesting stories uh, about uh, espionage and ransomware attacks and the things that happens behind the scenes and just short sort of sharing those stories that that's that's what I really enjoy. Oh my gosh, that is like, that's incredible. Wow. What a backstory to this book. Congratulations for, for, for everything. <laughs> <Thank you>. Wow. <laughs> 
Oh my Thank gosh, you. that was like Thank a, yeah, I'm, I'm like very a proud story of, like a, of resilience and determination and grit. It had everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I, I've in my 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 lifetime, you know, I, I didn't come from a a, a normal um, structure, loving, supporting uh, home environment. And, uh, you know, it was in my third year of high school and I was going to turn 18 and and things were just so bad I needed to get out. And uh, so I went to my, uh, my high school principal uh, and I said, look, uh, I, I'm I, I I'm going to be 18 this year. I don't know where I'm going to be or I'm going to be able to even finish school. Uh, and I'm not going to college. Uh, I'm going to join the, the army. And can can you please just let me take night school classes so I can graduate? Because at night school, you basically just show up and you, you get the degree. So they don't just normally let kid, high school kids take a night school course where you don't get the full academic uh, benefit from it. But uh, they let me do that. So I would uh, go to school. I'd go work for a few hours so I could pay for the classes. And then I would go to, uh, to night school. So, it, you know, that's, I guess that's really where my sleepless night started. But uh, I graduated. I went off. I became a military police officer and, uh, and, and didn't look back. But I, I, I feel like I guess my point and what I started explaining all of this from is I wish I had had, uh, you know, a, a more, no, there's not such thing as a traditional, but it, I'm going to use that word, a traditional story where, you know, I, I had, you know, a, a support where I could go to college and where I got out and I had connections that helped me get a job and where, you know, the path was a little bit easier, but it wasn't. But that's why I go back to sometimes it's about what you want and how hungry you are and how bad you want to achieve your goals. And if you're willing to do that work and put in the time, um, I, I, I I know it sounds like a very cliche, but but I, I, I I've proven it. Uh, I, you can do it. You can do whatever you set your mind to, and uh, nothing has has stopped me so far, uh, except being tired. But uh, but you can really achieve your goals if you are determined and you're willing to to, to do the work. That's a great message to share with our listeners for sure. Um, and I, I wanted to ask, you know, from, from being in the, in the military to, you know, working, you know, as a researcher, like how did you, how did you make that jump? Well, you know, it, the two had absolutely nothing to do with each other because being an MP, you either do one of two things, you do police work or your, um, your, your, doing um, VIP uh, escorts in a war zone uh, and keeping main supply routes open. And, and I did both of those. But when I was uh, doing the police stuff, um, I got involved with the criminal investigation division and I got a really cool job and I got to experience at the age of 20, I was, you know, wearing a wire and doing um, undercover drug narcotics and just, just doing crazy things that most people would never experience. And I was 20 years old and doing this. Um, but I think that that interaction where I was face to face real life with criminals and having to build those relationships and gain trust is something that I now rely on, um, you know, 25 years later, I rely on to, uh, to, to talk to criminals today. And I think that that is something that really helped me uh, learn a lot to do that. Uh, but going back to your initial question, it, when I got out of the military, you know, I, again, it had nothing to do with what I, with, with what I do today. I didn't have uh, any in college when I got out. Um, so I just, I, I decided that I was going to try and become a police officer. 
And uh, so when I came back again, I didn't have a, a, the family support, so I wasn't, I didn't have anywhere to go to live. So I, I rented a, a, a room and uh, in, in a house and it was, it was not a, a good house. It was, there was drugs being sold out of it and there was other things that eventually got raided and everybody but me got arrested. And then I couldn't live there anymore and had to find a new house, but that's a different story. But my point is, is that I decided something had to change. So uh, not being able to get a job as a police officer or, I didn't get a job with a police officer because at the time I have tattoos all over my, my, my body. And at the time you couldn't have visible tattoos, at least in Fairfax and Prince William County where I live, you couldn't have visible tattoos back then. Uh, and then I wanted to, to join um, the FBI. So I tried that. And back then it was a zero drug policy and I'd smoked weed in high school, which had only been, you know, three or four years prior. So uh, I couldn't do that either. And I really had to, had to, 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 to swallow my pride and uh, I took a job pushing in carts at Home Depot. Um, and that was tough going from doing like undercover drug narcotics and being in the military and having a sex successful career to pushing in carts now in the rain and the snow and loading people's carts. But you do what you got to do in life. And uh, I started buying um, Cisco books. And at the time, the dot com, dot com bubble had just popped. So I was buying really cheap uh cisco equipment for pennies on the dollar and i built this this lab in my my room that i was living in and uh and i just every every break uh at work before after on weekends while my friends were getting together going out to drink and watch football i was sitting there reading these cisco books and 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 trying to learn how to uh how to set up routers and firewalls and uh eventually because of that i was able to get a bunch of IT certifications. I'd never done any work in the field still, but I got a bunch of IT certifications and that got me a job on a help desk. That help desk got me a clearance and uh, I was a network engineer for a number of years. Um, and that's when I first started writing, doing OSINT type stuff and writing blogs for fun. And, uh, it was, it was that, it was those blogs and things that got the attention of some folks that worked in the government. And I ended up getting recruited to go be a, uh, a SIGINT analyst, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, it's basically like an intelligence analyst that uses a bunch of technical data and tools for the government. And, uh, and yeah, I never looked back. Wow. That's what, that's incredible. I'm just like, oh my God, when I was 20, um, I was not doing anything nearly as cool or as important. I'm just like thinking what a jag off I was when I was 20. <laughs> well, the, the, the desperation and fear of failure and being kind of you know, my, my whole life because of my learning disability, they couldn't diagnose it back then. I would even sometimes I was part of my uh, upbringing. I was in classes with, um, uh, with other special needs kids and things. And I just, I, I, when I got in high school and I was failing everything and doing poorly and, um, things of that nature, the only thing that I had, you know, was that I knew I was smart. I just wasn't book smart. And I knew if I could figure out a way to get past the, the learning issues that I had, I could beat this. Um, so I just always had that chip on my shoulder that uh, I was going to prove people wrong. I had a life of being made fun of, called dumb, things like that. And uh, I just was determined to, to prove uh, to prove people wrong with that and uh, and to prove it to myself. And uh, and, and that's, what, that's what drove me and that's what still drives me today. While I don't necessarily have that chip on my shoulder any longer, um, without that chip, I realized that this is just my true passion. Like if I won the lottery of Tomorrow, I'd still do this work because I honest to God love what I do my hobby became my job and 
that's why I'm so obsessed with it. That's why I work so many hours. That's why I want to do all these extra things like write a book in addition to my day job where I already write uh, is, is because it's it's something that uh, I just truly love. Did uh, like so, And as you were writing, like did did anything come as a surprise to you? Like or, or did you did you already, you know, outline everything and and yes. oh, go ahead, John. Oh, no. Yeah. It's funny that you, you asked that question. What I have learned uh, about me and there's there's no uh, there's no logic behind this that I can figure out. But when I go do research, I collect all this information and data. And um, when I start to write, even though I try to do analysis before, for whatever reason, when I actually start writing, I connect all of these dots that I have never connected uh, prior to that. And the, the ransomware diaries is a great example of that. Excuse me, because when I wrote that, I had no idea what I had until I was writing it and I started connecting all these dots and realizing the much bigger picture and how it all fit together. And and that's really, uh, for me, where the magic happens. So I always wonder, because so many analysts don't like to write, and I always wonder if if that's just me or if uh, if other analysts would, that if they were to actually write their own content versus being an analyst or a researcher or a company where you have a team that writes it for you. I've always wondered if, if they would have that same experience where they connect a lot of extra dots or if it's just me. Um, but that's definitely if I didn't write, I my my content would not be anywhere near, uh, in my opinion, as good um, of an end product uh, when I finish it. No, and I think that's um, that's a good point you make that uh, it, it helps connect the dots. And I, Alan and I have talked about this before, where I feel like that's like a very liberal arts approach to thinking about things like this, um, because you and writing really does help, you know, map out things that maybe you wouldn't have connected before. And I, I would hope other analysts would want to feel the same way. And I hope maybe listening to, you know, your backstory and, and you know, your process of, you know, writing this book, maybe it would inspire people to, um, I don't know, swallow their pride, as, as you say, about, you know, certain things where maybe it's just like a fear of, you know, I'm not a good, like, I'm not a good writer. I'm not creative. So I'm not going to try. And maybe, you know, hearing you talk like this, um, it would inspire them to do the same. Well, I, I hope so. And I spend, uh, because of my past and how hard things were, uh, I spend around 10 hours a month uh, mentoring uh, upcoming uh, researchers and people that want to get into this field. A lot of them I'll meet either at conferences or at LinkedIn. And when they come to me or they talk to me and they say, I want to do X, and I say, okay, let's set up, set up a time to talk. They Sometimes they'll look at me like uh, they, they, I'm crazy or they're, they're shocked, but it is so rewarding to help uh when i see somebody that has that 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 desire and that drive and that passion versus a lot of analysts are out there where it's 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 a job to them but it's not their passion so when i see especially a a young person though it isn't specific to just younger people but often is younger people that have that uh i want to help them i want to take the time to 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 mentor i want to help the time to guide them and i want them to have an easier path than i did um and, and that pays back in volume when uh when i see someone have success uh there there's an individual 
I, I don't want to say his name because it's it's his story and I don't know what he's comfortable with. But there's an individual who was um, in, in a in a he was he was on his way to to be uh, uh, to finishing up something in the medical field and as you all know to be become a doctor that's an an unbelievable amount of, of work and uh, you know he, he had uh, an accident happened and it affected him um, and he ended up not being able to finish that course uh, that path that he was on and my book had just come out and he read that book when he was uh, in the hospital um, and he told me that that's what motivated him to get into cybersecurity and he just got uh, an unbelievably uh, uh, very in demand and difficult to get job with one of the intelligence agencies and uh, it's like in a, in, in a year and a half went from not being in cybersecurity to reading the book we started and I have no credit for this but we started just talking and I just started trying to help him and he was so motivated and he did it and so those success stories are just things that make make it so uh, rewarding to spend time helping people to achieve their goals and that's also something that's very important to me. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I really like hearing about all this. This is this is fantastic. Um, if I could pivot slightly, I, I was interested um, in um, you had you had had a pinned tweet on Twitter slash X. Uh, I'm not sure. I still call it Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. <laughs> and it's uh, regarding the Difference Maker Awards. And you said, and I quote, I risked my ass engaging with Lockbit and adversaries <laughs> while conducting research. And I'm just like, I don't know if you had that much attitude behind it. That's just how I'm reading it. <laughs> Can you expand on that for our listeners? Like, <sighs> Yeah, it's it's scary uh, when you first start doing um, threat actor engagements. Now, I, I honestly, I've, it's something that I've it's it's now something I do all the time. So there's still precautions, but but it's scary when you first start to do that. Um, and there's been a number of events that have happened where uh, I've been concerned uh, for my safety um, I, and and concerned that something would happen, whether it's being spotted or violence as a service being used or things like that. But that's part of doing this job. If you're going to talk to bad guys, those things can happen. Um, and while it never stops me, it's always something as a researcher you have to be aware of that can happen and decide if you can stomach it or not. But I guess what my point is, is that, um, yeah, the, 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 the work that I did for, for uh, the ransomware diaries, you know, it was it, it was risky because the first volume of that, I, everything I did was with sock puppets. So it was not done with by, by me as John DiMaggio, but it was done with these pretend personas. And uh, and I got really lucky I and mean, I got really far uh, with that uh, operation. And when I wrote that uh, first volume, you know, I put my face and name on it. And, uh, you know, when a threat actor realizes, you know, who you are and uh, your accounts or your personas are burned at that point because they realize who, who you were, they talked to and how you got the information. Um, now you're on their map and now you're on their radar. And, you know, like Lockbit had then taken my, uh, my my face and used it as their avatar. And I was on some on one of the dark web forums. And I was like, when I first saw that, that was such an oh crap moment. Uh, but but it. It ended up being something I've learned with the Russian um, 
culture is even though they, they did that out of a sign of like a respect, like, wow, you did some some crazy shit. And uh, and we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll give you props. And they weren't. It, it wasn't an adversarial relationship. Now, they talk to me a lot less now. But when I do talk to them, I talk to them as me. Uh, I say a lot less. I still talk to them fa- fairly regularly when when incidents happen. But um, I've moved on to other adversaries since then. But my point is, is that, you know, um, I, literally, I, I risk my ass do, do, doing the work that, that I do. Um, you never know what's going to happen. You're dealing with uh, some of the, the most notorious criminals in the world that, that, that make hundreds of millions of dollars a year and have resources to, uh, to, to, to make you have a really bad day. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, I did all that and I was so proud of the, the work. I felt like it was the, some of the best work I've ever done in my life. And, uh, so I, I was trying to, uh, compel people, Hey, you know, <laughs> if you enjoyed the, the research, cause it's always free, the, the research, that's one of the deals I had with the newest one when I came here is that my research would be public. It would be free and we would share, uh, the information because so many um, organizations today charge for that. And, and I, it's important to me that I really want to, I want to make my, the, the research available and, and make it so that everybody can, can, can benefit from it and use it. So, uh, doing everything at a public level brings risk. And so, yeah, that's what I meant by that. Thank you. And, and do you want to share the outcome of the difference maker awards? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I I was there on, on on Wednesday, and um, I was I was sitting there, and they were they were announcing. Uh, the, so it's almost like the Grammys when you go there. It's they, they the whole room's done up, everything from lights to music, the screen. It's um, they they bring cards and they they go through the nominees and the winner is, and it, it's very much like that. And so. It my the 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 award that I was up for was the first one being announced. So that is additional pressure because you're like, oh, you're sitting there and those those you know they always pause and those sort of five seconds before they announce the winner seemed like an eternity, and. Uh, they, they, I, they announced that I won. Now they got my name wrong. They said Joe DiMaggio, but <laughs> you know, a lot of people do that, but, but, but yeah, uh, they announced that I won and it was, it was, it was amazing because I, I, you know, SANS is one of those few, um, SANS awards are one of those few things where, you know, many awards in our field, you have to, in some way, shape or form pay for, whether you're a sponsor or you're giving money to join their association, but SANS isn't, um, the award is based off of a committee at SANS and then the, your peers who vote for you. So it, it, it winning that meant something to me. And the chances of winning it two years in a row uh, that had never been done before. And uh, so, so I, I, I was really, uh, I really didn't think I was going to win. And so when they said my name, it was just, I was one, I was overwhelmed uh, with emotion. But two, I, as I was stood up, I realized I'm the first one to go up here. No one's gone before me and I'm, I'm going to have to talk. And I don't ever prepare speeches for things like that because I feel like it jinxes it. <laughs> so uh, I went up there and, uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I said my, my, my piece and, uh, and, and I, I won. And it's, it's just, it's just, a, I don't want to say I, I want to say, say we. I mean, I, yeah, I wrote it and it was my research, but I couldn't have done it if Analyst One didn't give me the platform to do it. And I'm sure um, Alan will agree with this. There are not many companies that will let me do the crazy things that I have done uh you know to to produce this stuff most would have concerns and want to get legal and and check everything that i'm doing and they gave me complete creative freedom and they don't even know what i'm 
what project I'm doing until it's done. Um, but uh, so they really supported me and giving me that platform. So uh, I, I just when I wanted it was just it was just amazing. And what a lot of people don't know is that you know when I used to do this for for semantics, sometimes I get to write my stuff. Sometimes that uh, they wouldn't let me write it because there's a lot of at the end of the day they hired me to be a, an analyst and a researcher. So sometimes I get to write it. Sometimes they'd have a, a, a technical writing team that would write it, but um, but I never had this creative freedom. So when I came, but I, what I did have is a massive amount of data and that helped me to constantly find new things that people didn't know about. And I specialized in espionage with Symantec. So when I left Symantec to come to Analyst One, what people don't know is Analyst One has no data. They're, uh, um, you know, they make a tip, uh, a threat intelligence platform. So everybody I work with are developers. It's in up until about uh, six months ago, it was just me working there. So I left having this massive amount of data and tools and resources and a team of, you know, uh, reverse engineers and other analysts to talk to, to being just me with no data. And I have about a, a $15,000 a year budget for tools. Well, that won't buy you anything these days. Um, so I primarily use open source tools. And uh, that's what really uh, is like when I got here, really spawned me to start thinking, how can I get, uh, how can I do good research without data? And I didn't want to fail. Um, so that's really what encouraged me to start getting on the dark web and then realizing that these threat actors were, 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 were available. They were touchable. I could reach out to them. And that's kind how I how I got started in doing direct engagements um, and and really started leveraging open source tools to collect data on, on public accessible infrastructure they use stuff on the dark web um, I learned a lot I bought some books on uh, on, on doing uh, reversing malware and while I'm not even close to a reverse engineer I learned about a lot of tools and resources I could use to help me with that and um, and, and and yeah, I've, I've I've had a lot of success. I've, I feel like I've been extremely lucky. It's it's been a great ride. Um, and it, but now I'm under this. It, it's my own pressure. Under this pressure of I've set kind of a standard out there for for the work that I do. And knowing that I don't have data, it's always like, am I going to be able to do this again, or am I going to fall on my face? So even with all this success that I've had, I still look at it every day as like, can I do this uh, type of thing? And um, I what I have to do is just fall back into trying to think about not hitting a home run, but really getting into the research, really enjoying it and just writing something that I enjoy that tells a good story and that I can be proud of and not worry about the end result. And so far that's really worked out. But if, if I sit there with that pressure of, I have to hit a home run, this has to get picked up by the media, this has to do X, Y, or Z, um, that that's when I would probably start, uh, putting out poor, poor quality content because, uh, at the end of the day, that can't be what your end goal is. It's that passion and love for the work that will make it get there. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, like, I, I feel like, you know, the, the enthusiasm and the interest that you have is, is what's going to probably get it, get that to the media and it's going to get that attention that it, that it rightfully deserves. Um, thank you so much for sharing all this, John. Um, I, I'm so grateful that you could, you could come and, and talk about this on the podcast today. My only, um, gripe with your book is it's not on audiobook, right? (laughs) <laughs> it's not. And what's funny about that is, you know, the ransomware diaries, as I said, they're, they're all like 60, 70 pages. There's been uh, three volumes over the course of 2023. And for every one of them, we do audio versions. And, you know, it's a it's a it's a two or three hour uh, a, a 
listen, even listening it to audio, which I think makes it a lot easier for people to listen to in their car and things like that. Uh, and um, we never did that for uh, the Art of Cyber Warfare, but I don't have the same control with that because that, you know, is there's a, a major publisher involved. But but I would love to do an audio uh, version of it. I don't think they do that with any of their books, but my book is very different than all the other No Starch Press books or most of them because, again, the first half of it is storytelling. So I think it would, would transition well uh, to do an audio version of it. But, yeah, it doesn't exist today. I don't know if it's going to ever exist, but I would love well, to well, do Can that. I just, like, call you, like, every day for an hour and you read it to me? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. That works, too. As long as we record it so that so that, uh, so that the others won't have – I won't have to get on the phone with them, too. But, uh, but yeah, I, it, it's an art to, 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 to reading a book that's being recorded that people have to listen to because um, it, most of us don't read out loud every day. But if you had to sit there and read out loud for an hour a day to get through, you know, several hundred pages of content over a, a period of time, it's really hard to do to to not stumble on words, to not get. I mean, it happens and then you have to edit it. But, but in order to, to do it well, you have to really practice and, and, and let the content flow um, while you're reading it. But but that is that in itself is, is a whole different skill, uh, something I'm still working on. But I feel like uh, I, I've done I've done OK with it. I definitely can 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 get uh, better at it. But, yeah, it's it's it makes it a lot easier for folks to, to receive the information. For sure. Well, we'll be on the lookout for that. But but again, thank you so much. Uh, and and uh, yeah, if if you're listening and you haven't checked it out yet, it, the book uh, from from John DiMaggio is The Art of Cyber Warfare, an investigator's guide to espionage, ransomware and organized cybercrime. So please uh, check that out if you have not already. All right. Well, we uh, are going to go into the next segment of the show, which is um, talking about um, our, our book picks. And, um, I, I, I wanted to leave time to talk about your book, John. So I'm not going to do picks this time, but, um, we'll talk, we'll kick it over to Alan to talk about, uh, your favorite InfoSec or cybersecurity books and or reading material, uh, what you like and why, why you think it would be beneficial for the rest of the industry to also read those books if they haven't already. So, I know that we're supposed to go one or two, but I, I'm going to throw a third one in there just because I'm greedy. Um, it's um, okay. And also, and also, John, please feel free to jump in at any time if you've got if you've also read these books and you want to. If you have anything to add. Okay, I've talked a lot, so I'm going to let Alan <laughs> talk. But if, I will definitely contribute uh, if, so, if, if I have an you know, opinion. The books that, yeah. that have been recommended on this podcast are are already amazing, and and absolutely, um, you know, the the books that everybody would read. What surprised me was uh, nobody had suggested uh, Countdown to Zero Day by Kim Zetter yet. Absolutely amazing book and should be required reading for anybody in cybersecurity. Kim is one of the best journalists in the business. And, uh, you know, her book really does a great job of understanding what's going on in the world of cybersecurity, even though it's a little older now. You, it really is a, a great book on, on background. So that's going to be my first recommendation. Um, yeah. 
Can I say one thing? No, go ahead. I promise I'm not going to hijack this. Uh, yeah, that that book, uh, I read that book a couple of years ago. It is one of my favorite books uh, in the field that I've read. But what's so crazy about it, and I didn't realize this when I read it, is part of the main storyline uh, involves uh, Symantec. And it was literally, I didn't work there at the time, but it was the team that I worked for, worked on for seven years uh, after that event happened. Uh, so as I was reading it, and in some of the scenes they're describing some of the conference rooms uh, in our building out in California. And I'm like, I've been in that conference room and I'm, I'm reading the, the players involved and I work with these guys every day or I did. So yeah, that, that, that one uh, it has a, has a place in my heart. Yeah, and it's and an I guess I should clarify when we talk about countdown to zero day, the zero day in particular is the Stuxnet zero day. Um, really, really well known. I won't go into details of that. But, you know, John, it's funny that you mentioned you work for that group because I used to give them grief because for so many years, they coasted off of Stuxnet. Like I, they would go to meetings and like, look, we found Stuxnet. And they'd be talking to not an Iranian nuclear power plant. Um, and so it's like, it's great that you found that. But, right. you know, maybe, uh, maybe what have you done for me lately? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and again, fantastic research by the Symantec team, but fantastic telling of the story by Symantec or, or by Kim Zetter. And that is one of the things that I think John's writing and all good cybersecurity writing has to have is that storytelling. If you get too caught up in the CTPs, that's sort of the technical aspect of it, you you miss the forest for the trees. You you have to be able to tell a great story, and Kim does a great job of that. Excellent, yeah. And we, I we have a we have an episode in the pipeline too, where somebody, where one of um, our domain tools folks talks about countdown to zero okay. day as well. Um, but you know. Um, Absolutely. That doesn't mean we can't keep talking about it because um, I think it's important. And especially um, I don't and I don't know if you both have, um, you know, any more insight into this, but um, that um, domain, my domain tools colleague, Ian Campbell, um, he talked about um, Kim's Kim Zetter's book because he goes, I don't know if there are a lot of books by, you know, female or non-binary authors in this industry yet. Um, and he had asked on Mastodon, but, um, you know, didn't get a lot of, you know, good, good feedback. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, you already have mentioned, uh, uh, you've already mentioned, um, this is how they tell me the world ends by, uh, uh, by Nicole, um, uh, which is another great book. Um, so that's a good one. Um, I really like, uh, what is the name of that? Um, shoot, I, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, Spy Slice and Algorithms is another really good one by uh, Amy Zagart. Um, I like that one a lot as well. So there are, there are a lot of them out there. You know, you just have to sometimes find them. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. And I, I had told I had told Ian, too, uh, you know, like in terms of like a male dominated industry, you know, he's saying, well, yeah, like this, like InfoSec cybersecurity is still, you know, kind of a boys club. And I go, well, like there's there's a female comedian, I think it's Nikki Glaser, 
that said, well, until very recently, all of the industries were male only. So, so it's like, it's going to be hard. That's, that's definitely changing with our field. And I can tell you that from the SANS awards, uh, of how many, uh, uh, brilliant and amazing women, uh, won awards the other night, uh, that it's compared to when I started in this field where it was almost all males, uh, it's definitely, uh, changing and, and we're seeing, uh, a lot of brilliant work that's coming from, uh, Absolutely. it's coming from. That's from awesome. Women. That's great to hear. Um, so Perfect. my next one is active measures by Thomas Ridd. Um, it's a very, very, uh, long book about the secret history of dif- disinformation and political warfare. Uh, Rid does a, a really great job of looking at all sorts of disinformation campaigns. And so much of what we do now includes disinformation and misinformation. It's something that you have to take into account when you're doing any kind of security uh, analysis at this point. Um, and so understanding the history of that, and Thomas is one of the best at this. Uh, um, in fact, he and Kim actually teach a, uh, a course at uh, Johns Hopkins together, which would be incredible to be able to get into and, uh, and, uh, and, and take that course. The, the final one that I'm going to recommend is not a security specific book, but it's Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel, Daniel Kahneman. Um, it is a good book for understanding how to be an analyst. Um, we all have our biases. We all have our, um, we, we all have kind of our prejudices and figuring out how to step back and uh, think about these things uh, in, in, in a longer way. So, I mean, that's the whole point, fast thinking versus slow thinking. Like, how do you, how, how do you separate yourself from your, from, you know, from your biases and your prejudice when you're doing analytical work, when you're supposed to be, you know, as John does, when you're supposed to be writing about these people that are doing sometimes terrible things to victims, um, how do you se- separate yourself from that and be able to do this? Or if your you know assumption is that you know uh, uh, there's no way this nation state can carry out this kind of activity, but the bunch of evidence is showing that they really are. How do you overcome your biases so you can you know effectively report on that? And, and so. Um, I think all analysts need to read that simply because we need to be able to separate that. You, you, there's especially the longer, like I reread passages of this book all the time, simply because I know as I've been in here longer, I have car- kind of my default um, uh, opinion on things. And I know that it needs to evolve sometimes, except for one area, and uh, a good friend of John's and mine, uh, Jackie uh, um, uh, Jackie Coven, who works for uh, uh, Chain Analysis, likes to tell me that uh, uh, cybercrime really accounts for about one percent of cryptocurrency transactions, and I refuse to believe that because everything I see is terrible that's involved in cryptocurrency. So I will not change my bias on that, no matter how much evidence uh, 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 you give me to the contrary. <laughs> cryptocurrency is bad and it does bad things. 
<laughs> but I'm All willing right. to own up to my bias okay. in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot. That's a very controversial opinion. People definitely take strong sides on uh, yeah. on that. So it's funny to hear you say that, Alan. I, I agree, but we because we that's all we see is the bad part of it because of what we do. But uh, I've heard there's there's better things about it. But uh, even the people that I know who invest in it, if a lot of them have, have lost money, I know there's people out there who make money. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something we see from a negative aspect. Right, and, and you know, and Jackie today. has a better view than you and I do, or at least better view than I do. So I know she's right. I just my mind can't accept it because all I see is the badness. <laughs> For sure. I, yeah, like I don't, I don't fully get cryptocurrency myself. I'm just, I'm not that technical of a person when it comes to that. I, all I know is every year uh, my accountant just kind of sighs and he goes, did you invest in any cryptocurrency? And I always go, no. And he goes, oh, <laughs> It's like that's that makes it that much easier is all I know. <laughs> all right. Well, th- those are those are some excellent picks. I really I'm very interested, especially in that in thinking fast and slow. I think that might be a next uh, choice for me on, on what I want to read next. But um, Alan, what are you currently reading? And it does not necessarily have to be infosec or cybersecurity related. It could just be like reading for pleasure or unless uh, InfoSec cybersecurity reading is for pleasure. Um, so I do have like pleasure reading, although right now I'm really not been doing um, true, true pleasure reading. Like I think I've told you before um, my, my favorite kind of fiction is apocalyptic sci-fi fiction. Um, and, and, and so I've got, I've read a ton of like just trash novels on that. But um, but right now, I just finished reading um, a book called Absolute Time by Emily Thomas, and it's a book about rifts in early uh, modern British metaphysics, um, uh, uh, like philosophical understanding of time. Uh, absolutely fascinating. You know my favorite protocol is NTP. No, no, nothing personal. I know DNS is your favorite, but I just I'm a fan of NTP. And, um, and so reading not just about NTP, but understanding the concepts of time is fascinating. It's a very trippy book to go and, and, and see how all these people debated time and whether or not, and, and you know, because it's the, um, early modern British period when everything revolved around the church, like all the philosophers were like, how is the relationship of time and God work? And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So, I just finished that. The book I just started is uh, one that I've been waiting for almost a year to get my hands on. Um, it's called Women in Intelligence um, by Helen Fry. And it's uh, the hidden history of two world wars. So it's basically uh, British and American intelligence, uh, uh, the role that women played in British American intelligence in World War One and World War Two. Uh, just uh, so far, I'm only like 100 pages in, but so far it's absolutely amazing. And in the middle, there's a bunch of pictures of of the women who were involved in uh, in the spy game in those wars and kind of the roles they played and so on. Oh, yeah. hell yes. <laughs> Very interested and then in that. The last one is a comic book because I have to recommend a comic book. Um, 
Uh, I just finished because the series just ended uh, Time Before Time, which is a time travel comic book. So think the movie Looper, um, but with some really cool um, with, with some really cool uh, 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 storytelling. It's about two organizations, the syndicate and the union, both of which control time travel and uh, fight with each other. Um, and it's, there's a lot going on. This is an indie comic, so it's not like Marvel, DC, Image, or Dark Horse. Um, and it's very rare. Um, indie comics are very popular, but it's very rare for an indie comic to get a 29 issue run, which is what this got. And so, um, you know, you can get all 29 issues now from eBay or someplace like that. Um, but I picked this up when I was in a comic book shop in Melbourne, Australia, and loved the first couple of issues and have been buying it ever since. So um, just a, a, a really fantastic and interesting analysis of time travel, but in comic book format. Very cool. Like, like so you said it's an indie comic book. Like, does that mean... Uh, like, could you get it at a comic book store or do you have to kind of special order it? Because it's so popular, there a lot of comic book stores do carry it, um, but you can also order it or again, you can find it on eBay and so on. It's not going to be in every comic book the way like the new Green Arrow would be uh, or every comic book store like the way the new Green Arrow would be, but it is um, in some comic books. So I found it in this comic book shop in Australia, uh, but like my local comic book shop doesn't carry it, unfortunately. Do you have a like a comic book shop that you're brand loyal uh, to? So I have two. Um uh Comic Logic and Artwork in Ashburn um is kind of my go-to. It's local. That's the one I go in and browse. But then my subscriptions I get from a comic book shop in Winder, Pennsylvania. Um, because that's where my parents grew up and it's right near Johnstown where like the first issue of the Johnny Dollar comic book was said. Um, and so they send me out my monthly comics and fun fact, um, the, uh, owner of that particular comic book store may have murdered her husband's first wife, which is why I'm completely fascinated by them. Oh yeah, I'm fascinated by it. Too. I will send you. I will send you all could, the could news I? articles, and you can decide for yourself. Okay. That sounds fascinating. Uh, that's that's you always have some crazy spin on things, Alan. That, that that's also why I, I always love hearing your your stories and your recommendations. Uh, may I briefly throw a fiction book in, into there that I that I read that I just think it deserves to yes, be mentioned? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I read uh, over the summer, right before I went to Black Hat, I picked up a book uh, called – it's called Little Brother and Homeland from Cory Doctorow. And they combined both of them. They were two books. They combined them into one because they were back-to-back -back stories. And it's fiction, and it's a, a hacker, spy type of book. Um, and it is absolutely – and I normally don't read those type of books for, for uh, in fiction for fun. It's, the, it's my favorite book I've ever read. And what's funny is when I was doing my book signing at Black Hat, he was sitting right next to me because I just picked up the book. I hadn't connected the dots and I kicked myself for not introducing myself and getting uh, him to sign it because he, you know, he was signing books next to me. So it's not like I, I could just sit there and have conversation, but it's a great book. I really, really enjoyed it. Awesome. I want to check that out too. Gosh, this was, this 
series is great, but it's also like I have so many books that I'm trying to get to. Oh boy, it's I'm gonna I'll do it though. I've got I've got the determination. Um, how about Alan? So you mentioned some some of your favorite uh, comic book shops, but what about your small bookstore recommendations? I have four that I'm going to recommend. Um, and I'm going to throw the last one out there in case anybody hasn't gotten me a birthday present yet and is still looking for one. Uh, I'm sorry. When's your birthday? Um, uh, my birthday was back oh, okay. in September, but you may need to save up some money. Um, okay. So. But this will come out after oh, okay. the holidays. Valentine's Day present. Yeah. So anybody so, like, who wants to be my Valentine. Um, uh, first is uh my local com my, my local bookshop scrawl books that's where i order kind of all of my mainstream books from um love them they're great uh if they don't have something they can usually get it in a few days which i love um and because my two read pile like yours is so big i don't need the book immediately so i'm happy to let them order it and let it come in um and then in San Diego, I love Mysterious Galaxy. It's a uh, mystery sci-fi book, but they have some amazing signings out there. And so I get a lot of great autograph books from them. I love collecting autograph books. Um, uh, uh, and, and but but they just really have in-depth knowledge of the of, of mystery and sci-fi. And so I, I really love getting from them. And then in Oakland, California, Sista Sci-Fi. A lot of, uh, it's all sci-fi, but it's from a lot of African-American authors. And so it's like books and perspectives that I don't normally see when I'm looking for things. And they always have really cool and really interesting books. And they always do really fun events with the authors and, and so on. Um, and then my last one is also here local in DC, Type Punch Matrix, old and rare books. They have a first edition Edgar Allan Poe right now that is about $28,000. Um, that, uh, again, if anybody is looking to be my Valentine, I will divorce my wife if you get that book for me um, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and happily be your Valentine. Um, uh, I, I am in love with, uh, with, with their books and, you know, just the, the history and the passion that goes along with this. I picked up from there. Um, I picked up a first edition of the saint sees it through. Um, I'm a big saint fan of the saint. Um, uh, uh, and, and so I, I picked up that book, uh, from there and it's absolutely amazing to like, see the first edition of this. I picked up a first edition of the green archer by Edgar Wallace and, and like, you know, seeing the hardbound with the original slip cover on it is so cool to kind of hold that. But like my favorite purchase from there is a handbook from the 1890s for people working on telephone lines. So all of the telecom knowledge fit into a 200 page little handbook sized book. And it's incredible to thumb through it and learn about the new technology and, and things that you don't even think like they had to explain how your vocal cords work because people didn't understand how a telephone could possibly work. So it's like they had anatomy and they had the technical aspect of it and they had sort of the future aspect of it. Like, Hey, we figured out how to connect. You know, they talk about how they've managed to finally connect 
um, New York to Boston. And the next step is they hope to connect uh, New York and Boston to Chicago. And, and so learning about all of this and, and seeing this from the perspective of the 1890s is really amazing. And then seeing all of telecom knowledge being able to compress into less than 200 pages when the current edition of the Newton's Telecom Library is 4,000 pages long. It, it, it's, it's just really cool and fascinating to see that part of history. That is so cool. Oh my gosh. Like so you got like you got to like page oh, yeah. through that. Well, I bought the book from them and so it's mine now. Oh, um, you bought it. <laughs> yeah. I am assuming that one is less than the the $28,000. Yes. yes. There, there's not Edgar. as much demand <laughs> for the history of telecom as there is for the a first edition of Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Okay, okay. Is this like the type of place where you have to like put on gloves to to pick stuff up and and Fun interact fact, with it? It turns out that gloves are actually bad for the books. Um you're they 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 do that in the shows and in movies because that's what everybody expects, but the 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 linen gloves that you would wear is actually not great for the paper, so it's better to use your fingers when you're thumbing through the books. I didn't know that. They taught me that. Interesting. That's crazy. Okay. Have we reached the point where we talk about your your the special guests, the special in, invisible guests that you guys have brought to well, the I show think today? John's talk about his books. I know he mentioned the Cory Doctorow book, oh. but I think you probably have some oh, others, don't okay. you? Because I know you're a reader. Uh. Yeah, so uh, one of the books that I that I just read uh, also uh, in the past year uh, was um, uh, Hunting Cyber Criminals, uh, which is a book by I hope I say his name right, Vinny Troya, uh, pretty well known in our field. Um, but I picked it up, and I really could relate to a lot of the engagements that he has done with you know with cyber criminals, and uh, and, and I just I really in, enjoy the storytelling in addition to to, to to some of the technical uh, aspects that are in it. Um, I think one of my favorite books, which is really dated now, but it's a book that when I first read really inspired me uh, and is still a great historical book is, uh, and there's people that hate this book or love this book, but Inside Cyber Warfare uh, by Jeffrey Carr. And and I just, when I first read that, I, I just, uh, it, it really made me want to uh, do more in this field. And if you can't tell by the name of it, it was a bit of an inspiration for the title of of my book. Um, but, uh, that, that's one of my favorites. Um, a go-to that I use for, for my, for work purposes, but I buy every volume when they update it, uh, is OSINT Techniques, uh, from Michael Basil. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, the information in there is great and, uh, and he really explains things well and gives you lots of resources. And, uh, and, and so that's something that I enjoyed a lot. Um, and I feel like I can't, I can't go without at least mentioning uh the ransomware hunting team um that was uh renee dudley and uh, daniel golden and I, I got to meet renee uh at the release party for that uh the only thing that i can say that i don't like about it is that uh me me and alan are, are in our own little uh ran ransomware gang is what we call it with some other researchers i, I would they, they needed to uh have a different name so we could have written one with with that name but uh, besides that i think it's a it's a great book um th those are some of my favorites uh the other one i was going to say alan already said which is uh countdown to zero Day. 
day. Uh, that's probably one of my all-time uh, favorite research type of books uh, in, in, in storytelling. But uh, like I said, he already talked about that. But uh, I know I was, I'm, I'm flying through mine, but I've, I feel like I've talked quite, quite a bit. So I want to make sure I leave time. But those, those are some of my, my, my top reads over the past year. Um, and then I, there, there are some books that I, that I read from the espionage per, uh, perspective. And they're hard to get because they were originally um, published through the Foreign Military Studies Office through through the government, but you can still get them on um, Amazon. And there's a, a series. Uh, it's from a, a colonel. His name's uh, Timothy Thomas, and um, he has several of them. Um, Cyber Silhouettes is one of them. Um, he has uh, the, the, uh, the the Dragon Quantum Leap uh, is another. Uh, and my favorite of his is called uh, Chinese Information. Uh, war theory and practice. But the reason this is so good from an academic aspect, if you're doing cyber espionage, is it literally uh, was written when all of those groups were just sort of forming and, and just uh, starting operations. And it gives you sort of an inside um, background because it's written from somebody uh, from a military publication it, it, into their war theory, into their motivations, into their mindset. And after reading that, I understood so much more of at the time who was my adversary, who I was primarily chasing and, and, and writing about. Um, so I think that those at least deserve a mention. But yeah, those are sort of, I guess, my, my favorite books um, in, in a nutshell. That's awesome. Wow. I like. John, you're just lengthening my list now. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Are you reading anything currently that's, you know, not um, InfoSec or cybersecurity related? Like, are you, uh, did you finish Britney Spears' memoir or... <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to read lots of uh, suspense, uh, crime, murder type of books. Um, I read a book uh, called uh, Don't Let Her Stay. Uh, that's complete fiction uh, about a, a, a woman uh, who, who meets a guy and they get married and she gets pregnant. And his, his daughter from his previous marriage, whose mother had gotten killed, comes to visit. And, uh, and things start to go astray uh, from there. Uh, so that's that's one that I really uh, enjoyed. But uh, yeah, all, all of the uh, non, I guess, uh, industry type of books that I read just for, for pure fun are, are, are those sort of, uh, they're easy reads. But uh, I love the mystery and, and figuring out who it is and trying to determine that uh, prior to, to finishing the book. And I love books that have lots of good- Well, problems. that's probably also why you never sleep. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I read a lot more in in, in the summer. Um, it's it's a little bit easier uh, to to read because I, I try to book in some some vacations and things. But what's funny is even with vacations. Uh, because I do a lot of direct engagements, like I never really get to take a vacation because I, you can't, when you're talking and engaging with, with adversaries, you can't just be like, oh, I'll talk to you in two weeks. I'm, uh, I'm going to the beach. Uh, so, so even with that, it makes it hard, but I, I love my summertime reading and, uh, reading is probably my, my favorite, uh, non work hobby. And I say that because my work is my hobby, which makes it hard to separate from other things that I do. I gotcha. That makes sense. Um, like, because it's your, your, one of your favorite things to do though do you have a favorite small bookstore where, where you like to get those mystery books or or any other reading 
Um, this is not going to be a popular answer, but I love Barnes and Noble. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's huge, and I always buy my books as long as they sell them. I always buy my books from them because I'm a big believer in supporting bookstores as opposed to ordering them online. And it reminds me of like, like when I was a kid going to Blockbuster, um, getting to see all the books in front of me, getting to spend – I literally can spend hours because it's such a, a massive store. I can spend hours in it, and they've got a coffee shop in, in most of them. So it's it's one of my favorite places to go and just lose time and and just peruse uh all, all the stories that, that are out there. i like that choice no nobody has said that one yet so i th- i will accept it <laughs> very cool <laughs> yeah i'm i'm sure there's better local uh ones to support uh like, like alan mentioned but uh, yeah, if i'm honest uh i just love going there it's just it's such a huge store and there's just so much to see and they always yeah yeah that's totally fair I, I love it it's brick and mortar well for the most part uh, they do have an online store as well but uh, still still a very good place to go and lose and lose track of time so uh, so great all right um, and and now now we're to the part that that you guys had had mentioned at the beginning which is uh, you you asked a uh, a cyber criminal. Right about their favorite reads. Uh, we we did. Uh, John, do you want to give the background on the uh, on the gentleman that we talked to? Yeah, yeah. How did how did you go about this? <laughs> Sure. So uh, again, uh, the, Alan uh, is 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 the the, the brains behind this. Uh, is, is he took the uh, took the initiative to to get this going. But uh, yeah, so the gentleman we talked to, uh, his his name or at least his alias is Bratva, and he is probably um, if if you can if I can say this without being crucified, my favorite cyber criminal out of all of them. Uh, and the reason I say that is. He is someone who has been around for a very, very long time uh, outside of Twitter as well. Um, very well connected within the um, sort of R- Russian-based cybercrime industry. Um, he's connected in, and has contacts with all the ransomware gangs and um, all of the high-level players. And uh, I almost look at him as, you know, he's obviously involved with, with criminal activity, but I almost look at him as... Uh, I've become friends friendly with him, and he, he he's almost like a liaison. Like w- w- if if you're looking to make contact with someone, or or you want to uh, get information, uh, n- not that he gives information like from a source perspective, but if I want to find somebody to talk to or whatever, you know, he's always open, never never shoots me down or turns me away. And he's been a big fan. I know he voted for, uh, for my vote. I, I like the fact that even though we're on different sides, he is able to separate that and just like. I try to separate when I speak to them uh, to separate that. But yeah, he, he he's very. If, if you look at uh, ransomware or organized crime, especially in, or in cyber crime, especially in Russia, I like to refer it to as today's like organized crime because there is a structure, <clears throat> there is a structure, and there is uh, a, a very uh, a, a culture to it. And he is he is right in the heart of that. So he was a great person uh, to Alan to think of to, to to go to with this, and I think he gave us some great feedback that sort of gives us insight into what criminals think, what they read, and just a reminder that they're people too, that just people that don't always, haven't picked the, the, right. the most. And not all cyber criminals are as intelligent as he is or as well-read as he is. Um, you know, so I, I wanted to go with somebody who I knew whether or not I like him doesn't matter. You know, I knew he at least thinks about 
what cybercrime is like in Russia and, uh, and, and, and how it operates. And he had four recommendations for us. Oh my gosh, this is so, so exciting. I will tell you that the first two you can readily find. The other two are a little more difficult to find. Um, so the first one is Fatal System Error by Joseph Men. I've read that book. It's a fantastic book. Uh, Joseph Men is a reporter now for uh, uh, the Washington Post, but he's been a cybersecurity person forever. He wrote the the Cult of the Dead Cow book. Um, really good writer. Uh, I highly recommend his books. And Fatal System Error is a very good book. Uh, second one is How to Steal a Million Dollars, or How to Steal a Million, excuse me, The Memoirs of a Russian Hacker, by Sergei Pavlovich, um, uh, former Russian hacker, um, who wrote this uh, memoir. Um, that is something you can easily get to uh, uh, easily get, uh, and you can get it on Kindle, and it's relatively cheap. Um, the other one, um, or, or the next one, is a little harder to find in English. Um, it's a book by uh, Boris Vien, and the English transla- translation is Foam of the Days, D-A-Z-E, um, also called Froth of the Daydream, or Froth, froth on the Daydream. Um, it is a 1947 sci-fi book, um, and Boris Vien is a French author. Um, the I don't want to spoil anything. The summary of the book is really interesting. And that's why the the kind of the foam of the days, D-A-Z-E, really kind of fits in. I think you can find copies of the book online, um, uh, uh, like the PD, a PDF version of the book online. Finding a physical copy of the book is a lot more challenging. I mean, not surprising, a, a English translation of a French uh, sci-fi book written in 1947 isn't going to be at the top of the the list for everybody. Um, and then the last book that he he uh, recommended is something that I could only find in a bookstore in Latvia. Um, I did order a copy of it because I I you know it sounds really fascinating. Um, it's by a Russian investigative journalist named uh, Andrei uh, Zarkov. Um, and the book is called Crypt, How Cyberpunks, Programmers, and Crooks Fettered Russia with Blockchain. Um, the, I couldn't find a PDF of it anywhere. I couldn't find a Kindle of it anywhere uh, uh, or an ebook version anywhere. So I did order this from this bookstore in Lafia. Hopefully I actually get it. Um, and I'll tell you how it is after I read it. But it looks really fascinating. And I know that the work that uh, Andre has done in other areas has been really good in terms of his investigative journalism work. What do you, is it in English or, or I don't, I, I actually don't know. Do you, do you I speak don't, Russian? Um, if it's not in English, I'm going to have uh, some of my, uh, some of my colleagues translate it for me. <laughs> Excellent. Oh my gosh. And then, um, and you, um, you said his name was Bratva, right? The the person who recommended um, these books? John, yeah. It's, yeah. It's yes. Bratva Corpus' oh, like, handle on Twitter. I don't know what his actual name is. 
But did he provide any any more like insight into why he picked those books or were, are just are, are we kind of pushing our luck asking I'm for sure that? I'm sure he would have expounded. I really didn't ask him to. Um, you, you know, he, he he had a little bit of commentary around each one, but it wasn't uh, a, a lot of um, it, it, it wasn't a lot of commentary. Uh, uh, so, no, I don't have kind of an in-depth analysis, but maybe you can have him on the show and he'll tell you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do you think do you think he'd come on the show? <laughs> that would be interesting. But um, that and then uh, you, you mentioned, too, that he's more well read than than other cyber criminals. Right. Or is that is that kind of like the status quo where uh, he's he's maybe more of an outlier? I don't know. He, he's educated. He's smart. He's got a, intelligent opinions about things, whether you agree with them or not. And uh, and he enjoys talking. Yeah. And, and, and what I'll out? say is, I think most cyber criminals are intelligent in certain ways, uh, certainly technically intelligent. Um, but but I agree with what John said, that he uh, is more appreciative of the arts and of things other than IP addresses and uh, TTPs. At least that's the impression that I get compared to other cyber criminals that, that, that I've talked to. Okay. Like he's, yeah, there's more of an art form to it maybe for him. It sounds like. There is, but he also plays the traditional cyber criminal sometimes and puts out, you know, crazy stuff or rap, you know, rap lyrics or crazy things and memes. And, you know, so so he's got some different faces to him. But uh, but 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 yeah, I think that uh, we, we get a little bit different angle uh, when we talk, when we when we speak with him or communicate with him, rather. I think that we get a little bit different angle than we get from most cyber cyber criminals and that he is personable and and open that even though we're on different sides, he's open open to talking uh, non-work related content uh, like this, uh, if you will, um, and, and, and just getting into a good conversation. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Well, he's, people are built in multitudes, as my husband would say. <laughs> so that, yeah, very cool. I'm so glad you guys uh, did that. That's so cool that you could bring that to the show. I'm very excited to share with other people. Um, and I, I, Alan, you're going to have to, you know, tell us, you know, how that book from Latvia turns out if you know a if it came in english and then b if it didn't uh how how it turned out once you got it (laughs) translated but yeah very cool well is there anything else uh you fellas want to leave our listeners with uh, my favorite comic book is uh, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, which is uh, only a few editions out, but uh, it's uh, a, a, a regular uh, read and it's on my, my bookcase here at the house. I've uh, showed it to my kids, everything else. But if you haven't read that, you definitely should. Uh, the author of it is a little bit sketchy, but the book, it's the comic book. He, is, sh- is, he is shady as hell. Uh, Alan, he is, I would not trust anything that guy says. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, that's uh, Alan created a, an amazing comic book uh, that has to do with a ransomware actor as an investigator. And uh, if you're if you're in this field and you you, you, you thrive on it and you, you just have a passion for it, like like we do, I I, I think you'd enjoy this book. It, it's His funny book. It's great. as a sign of how bad at marketing I am. 
Um, it never occurred to me. I, I, I had an order come in because we've set up a, a store now and I had an order come in that somebody ordered 10 of them because he wanted to hand them out to everybody on his team. And I'm like, damn it. That is the perfect marketing opportunity because I have spent my whole life um, uh, of people not knowing what to get me because I'm in IT and security and most of the people I know aren't. And they're like, I don't know, what do you get for somebody in IT and security? And this is like, I could have taken out like uh, Facebook ads or Google ads. Like if you don't know what to get to the IT or security person in your life, this comic book is the perfect gift for them. Um, I know, I know we're way, way long. But when um, I the first year that I was married to my 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 first wife, um, um, I asked my or my in-laws asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I said, well, we really need a new router. Um, And so on Christmas Day, I opened and they had gotten me the saw like they got me a saw Um, uh, and, and they're like. Like a like a table saw. There's a type of table saw called a router that you use for like fine woodwork. Um, oh and, right, and, I and, want and that. I like, That's so funny. What in what in your life made you? The, uh, what you've known me so far made you think that I need something for fine woodworking? Um, and they're like, well, we were confused too. We didn't know why you'd ask for that. And I'm like, got it. I think I need to be clear in what I mean when I say router. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. What would you do with that wood router? Did you exchange it for the router router? Uh, no, I did exchange it because I got it from Home Depot. I exchanged it for something else from Home Depot that I could actually use. Uh, uh, you know, I, I am not super handy. I'm not router handy, but I am, you know, basic tool set handy. So I, I, I was able to exchange it for things. I, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if like, if you guys would get this reference, uh, but they, your in-laws kind of Amelia Bedelia it. <laughs> <laughs> <Just catch it. laughs> Very nice. Okay. Good. I'm just like, sometimes my references go over people's heads and I'm like, eh, I got it. And I got to chuckle, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I make, I make Seinfeld references sometimes. And a lot of the, the younger people uh, that I, that, that I, in the field that I, that I work with are, or, talk to don't always get those and I'm like how do you not know Seinfeld I know well I so like I'm in the millennial range and I know like I'm not the youngest generation anymore but um you know people you know like Daniel here will make references like that and he'll be like do you do you understand that I'm like yes I get it but I have the benefit I have the benefit of having like an older brother that was just like here's everything that I want you to watch because I'm desperately trying not to watch Mary Kate and and stuff (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh so i'm like i'm watching things i really shouldn't be watching <laughs> but now i can liaise with people at work a lot better <laughs> which is very cool it's always good to be yes. well-rounded especially with your uh with, yep. with your with your tv yes, and movies. Ex- absolutely <laughs> Well, it was wonderful talking with both of you today. I'm really, I'm so glad you were able to, you know, make the time uh, to, you know, talk, John, to talk about your book, um, you know, and Alan, I know you've, you've written a few books too, and, and you, uh, you didn't mention that, like, I knew you had r- written books, but you hadn't mentioned that at all. And when we were discussing this, you're like, we have to talk about John's book, but you have to come back and talk about your books too, so... <laughs> 
Yeah. And thank you, Alan, for, uh, for, for help setting this up. And um, thank you so much for, for having me. I, I love, I, I love the podcast. Got to be in it now twice. So I, I, I can't, we got to do a trilogy somewhere down the road. I, I, I really enjoyed this. For sure. I would love to speak with both of you again on the podcast and just in general in real life. At a conference, yeah, Absolutely. that'd be great. But um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I loved hearing all of your picks. Um, we will definitely be sharing them in our show notes. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you to our listeners for, for tuning in. And we will see you next week for another episode of Breaking Badness. Have a great one, everybody. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.